HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is brought to you by Hearst Ranch Grass-Fed Beef. Available on the internet at hearstranch.com. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Carlin Turkel, here today with the ulterior epicure. But people actually know your name now, Bonjwing Lee. Right, yeah. Bonjwing Lee. <laughs> you had this alternative uh, life or this, this pseudonym for such a long time. Does it feel nice to have shed that? Uh, y- yeah, I, I suppose. Yeah. I, it, it's strange because uh, actually last night I was talking to Marco Canora, who was at a dinner that I was at, and he said, you know, you were anonymous for so many years, and then all of a sudden last year you decided to come out, and, you know, how was that? And I thought, well, it really wasn't a secret towards the end of my my period of anonymity, so I just decided to come out on my own terms instead of letting someone else do it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's no different, I mean, I suppose, but uh, I'm just kind of a private person, so don't really... So... We'll get to what the ulterior epicure is in a second, but you grew up uh, in Kansas City. That's right. Um, there probably weren't many Bonjwings no. <laughs> around. <laughs> no. Um, what is your background? How did your family end up there? Sure. My parents are both from China. Uh, well, my father was born in Shanghai, but my mother was born in Taiwan, although her parents are from China. And uh, they immigrated to the United States in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. And my dad went to law school in Ohio. My mom went to graduate school at Kansas State University in Manhattan, Kansas. And my dad's first job out of law school was in Kansas City. So they kind of met in the middle, got married, and settled down there. And that's where I was born. Yeah. 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 So you, you know, lived there, went to school there. Uh, All through high school. And then uh, college was in Chicago, went yeah. to Northwestern. Then to Hollywood for a couple years. <laughs> then to D.C. for a couple years. I worked for a senator on Capitol Hill. And then to law school in Ann Arbor. And then uh, interviewed with some law firms around the country and then decided to go back home. Because yeah. my family's still there. So yeah. yeah, Kansas City, known for barbecue. That's um, right. Are there any other signifying foods of KC? 
barbecue, meat, corn, <laughs> bread. We're the bread basket of the country, you know, and we produce a lot of meat. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess barbecue is really what we're known for. Called one of the capitals of barbecue. Yeah, it's not the capital. Of so I mean, steak. Did yeah. that help your fascination with food? Being in the bread basket, being around barbecue, or did you grow up eating Taiwanese, Shanghai style? Uh, well, my parents did cook Chinese food at home more than my parents actually. It, it was my mother's parents who lived also in Kansas City, uh, who really cooked very traditional food. My grandfather was Fujian and he loved to cook. My grandmother also was a very good cook. So I, I grew up, yes, with that sort of immigrant kitchen at home. Uh, you know, my, it's been told many times by many other children of immigrants where their parents would pack them the most <laughs> god-awful things to go to school and you open in your lunch bag and everyone else has bologna sandwiches and you've got like a tea egg with like a drumstick and <laughs> chopsticks. <laughs> no, I did, I did have that upbringing. Yeah. But also, I think what really... Uh, caught my imagination with food growing up was that my mother worked for TWA, Trans World Airlines, yeah. which was based and headquartered in Kansas City at the time. And she was in management. And she had pretty good seniority. And so we flew for free. Our f- whole family did. And my mother was very adventurous, and both my parents were, and they took us everywhere. Awesome. I mean, as yeah. a child, I grew up, and I was very privileged because we would fly everywhere and we'd fly first class because we it, it was standby. Yeah. You know, we were non-revenues and we would stand by. And, and it was sort of like choose your own adventure. Domestically, my brother and I would take turns choosing places to go my parents would just say you know where do you guys want to go this time and so we would take turns choosing but internationally because the flights were sometimes often tight mm-hmm. we would go whichever flight was open That's so awesome. we would fly to st louis which was the hub and we'd look at the monitors and my mother would check the computers to see what flights had the most availability and we may end up we might have ended up in rome or paris or the bahamas or frankfurt <laughs> or egypt which we or greece i mean we didn't know where we were going and it was always an adventure and it was great yeah so and when we went places, my parents really wanted to show us that the rest of the world didn't live and eat like we did in America, that we were very privileged in the United States to have so much food and so much uh, everything. So when we went places, we always did what the locals did. We sort of stayed with the locals stayed. We went to, you know, we ate where the locals ate. We ate local food. So uh, I grew up eating around the world. Yeah. And I tell my mom to this day that, you know, the best gift she ever gave me was she gave me the world as my classroom. Really. It was the best learning experience ever growing up. And I was very, very curious as a child. So very adventurous. And I, I, I loved it. So where do you return to? Because now as the altar epicure or as Bonjwing, um, you do make destinations, uh, food destinations and travel literally just to eat. I do. Yeah. And I've been doing that for (laughs) a lot of my life, actually. You know, I, I started the blog in 2004, I think it was in law school but even before then I I loved to travel and eat even in college and and before that Uh, but of course now I've sort of uh, yes, I do. I travel all around the world, and I and make that my point. To yeah, be. I mean, I, I I love going to museums. I love art too, so I try to roll that in or you know music. But um, primarily, I I go where the food is. Yeah. What's the furthest you've ever traveled for food? The furthest I've ever traveled for food. The most obscure. What, what what are these destinations? Because you know Paris, Rome. Uh, many sure. people, you know, uh, are attracted to those cities for their food, for their culture. But what what are some of the more eccentric, uh, esoteric places? In two thousand six, I took a, a for the first time. I went to mainland China, and sort of had a two week trip there, uh, and just ate all around. And that was that. We went to some parts of China that you know most people wouldn't go. And I, I we have family members. Yeah, such there. as where. So in Suzhou, which is, they call it a suburb of Shanghai, but really it's like two hours outside the city and it's still considered, and Suzhou itself is like 3 million people or something ridiculous like that. But we, we, you know, we traveled a little bit around, uh, Hong Kong, 
It's pretty far. I don't know if that's obscure, yeah. <laughs> but Hong Kong. And in Mexico, I've gone to some a couple of places with my friend Adam, who yeah. has a blog, A Life Worth Eating, and he goes there a lot. Um, so, you know, I've been there with him. I wouldn't say anywhere obscure, you know, yeah. Oaxaca. But just recently Puebla. you were in Sure, Mexico. just last month, I think, even. Yeah. 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 Last month I was up in in Monterrey. Yeah. And then down to uh, San Pedro Cholula, which is where he usually stays near Puebla. And then we went down to Oaxaca together for awesome. a Awesome. What yeah. restaurants did you go to in Mexico? Uh, in Monterrey, we the, there was a restaurant that's called Pangea or Pangea, but they pronounce it Pangea. <laughs> and it's a part of a restaurant group there, and, and the chef there does uh, sort of this um, modern revisionist cooking of Monterey. Uh, in Oaxaca, we went to this amazing place called Yunanisa. And the woman who cooks there, her name is Doña Ophelia, and she's got like three last names, <laughs> Pineda, Baca, Toledo, or something like that. That's Toledo, a huge Baca, business Pineda. card. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but she's a she's a, a what they call a culinary anthropologist. In fact, I think Rick Bayless has invited her to Chicago a couple times to sort of talk to his staff about you know traditional food. But she is encyclopedic in her knowledge of the food of the Istmo region, which is the narrowest strip of Mexico down in the south of Oaxaca, south of Oaxaca, and she's from there. And she makes the most amazing mole. I mean, yeah. she really does. And I actually bought, brought some back to the United States and I've been eating it since. But <laughs> it, she does amazing food. There's another woman down in Oaxaca as well who runs a sort of, it's a restaurant, I guess they call it, but it's more like a supper club because it's in her home. And you kind of have to know about it and ask, you know, call ahead to make a reservation. She'll cook out of her, literally her kitchen and you sit in her dining room and she feeds you. And her, uh, and her food, and her restaurant's called La Teca. And she also is also from the Ismo region where Doña Ophelia is from. So those were the two of the most amazing places I ate, I think. Yeah. Just, and just really good food. Yeah. Um, obviously, listening to you talk about these places, it's not just, oh, that was the best burger I ever had. You, you care uh, as much as that other person uh, being an anthropologist of food. Um, you wrote a book with uh, Megan and Colby Garrett. Yeah, of Blue Stem uh, in Kansas City. You like that. I mean, you, you like photographing. You like documenting. Um, what was that book experience like, and how much more do you want to do with photography and writing and food? The book, working with Colby and Megan, was great because, um, they, they, I mean, they had been friends of mine for years, and I had been actually nagging Colby to do a cookbook. I was like, you know, Kansas City really needs a chef yeah. who does a cookbook. And I didn't actually intend for you know him to think that I wanted to write it. I just thought that he should do it. And after about three years of nagging, I decided to just, you know, stop because he was too busy i figured you know he's just too busy and and six months later out of the blue he calls me up and a publisher a local publisher andrews mcneil in kansas city had approached him about doing a book and so he asked me if i would i would do the writing and i said sure and and then later on i became the photographer of the book as well but it was a great collaborative collaborative experience and it was great especially because we were just friends yeah and working with friends i know sometimes can be dangerous but we're so laid back yeah and we just had fun with it and uh just to tell the story of blue stem i do i do like documenting things yeah yeah. And I, more than anything, uh, I like storytelling. Mm-hmm. In college, I was a film major, but really I was a screenwriting major. I was focusing on screenwriting. And I love telling stories. And I love the story of food, and I love the story, the history of food. And that's really what fascinates me most about food. Yeah, I mean, even just reading your website, Alteria Epicure, um, I've always been fascinated, obviously, with the photos being a visual person. But there was so much more behind the dish that you actually deconstructed uh, not just the technique, but, you know, the influences, the ideas, and having that knowledge of world, you know, worldly food, uh, you had some kind of comparative dialogue that I think a lot of food bloggers didn't. Well, thank you. That's very nice to hear because I know that 
probably most people know of my blog because of food photos. I mean, sure, it's quick, it's accessible, people can get in and out, and they can look at the food photos and move on. I I know that's what most people are really interested in, but uh, I spend probably, well, I do, I spend more time writing uh, than I do editing photos or anything else. Yeah. The photos, really, when I started the blog, was just sort of like a visual aid to help me remember what I ate. Yeah, and I'd never intended that to be focused. But you know, as time went on, of course, I understand people want to see what the food looks like. That's really the visual part is really what attracts people first. But yeah, thank you very much because I do spend a lot of time writing. Oh, and no, I wonder no. if anyone ever actually reads what's no, totally. between the photos. And, and it the- shows too from your lawyerly background um, <laughs> how you write and how you plot things out. It's it's not just you know these tangential it's really well thought out and really well scripted also from your screenwriting well, background thank you. Um, thank you but going down to mexico is there the intention of doing something while you're down there or do you just go down there eat photograph learn or are you attempting to do something more with these right no now? i actually i never have an agenda when i go i mean that, maybe that's that's maybe not accurate i never have a really an agenda when i go anywhere to eat other than just Sometimes I will go to a city because there's a restaurant there I really want to visit, so I will go and make a trip out of it. But for the most part, I'd say I go places to eat that places that interest me or places that fascinate me or food that fascinates me. And and really, my desire to go down to Mexico was twofold to see my friend Adam, but also I really wanted to learn about the culture of Mexico. Actually, before last October, I had never been to Mexico. I've been to over 30 countries around the world, and I'd never been to Mexico. And so I decided I needed to go visit the neighbor to the south. So I went down to Mexico, and I fell in love with it. Absolutely fell in love with it. And I realized there was so much to learn there. Yeah. And no, I go down there just because I love it. Of it. Yeah. I, and, and I would say that's probably true of like 90% of my travels and for food is I just do it for the love of the game. There's yeah. no ulterior motive, so to speak, <laughs> for the ulterior. Because there's just, I, I just love to eat. Yeah. So what's next? I mean, you, do you have trips coming up? Yes. This is going to be a busy month for me. I go from New York next week. I leave uh, with the Book Hughes Dora team, uh, Gavin Kaysen and Gabrielle Crather. And we're going down to the Greenbrier in White Sulphur Springs, uh, West Virginia, where uh, next year's competitor for the United States, Richard Rosendale, is uh, is is the executive chef of that resort, and so we're going to be there for a few days. Uh, sort of, he's going to be training with his coaches, Gavin and Gabrielle Corther and Chef Akets, and I'm just going to be there as the official photographer, sort of just to kind of document the process. Awesome. And then from there, I go to Tahoe, and that's just a personal thing, a, a wedding uh, for a friend, and then I'll be in San Francisco for a few days to eat. Yeah. Then I go home for eight hours uh, exchange my suitcase and I go up to Lake Champlain for a week I'm going to be up there with uh, Chef Gerard Kraft of Niche in St. Louis and uh, then we're going to go up to Montreal for a day or two and eat and from Lake Champlain I will be going to possibly Mexico again I might be meeting Adam down in Ensenada for their crush season. It's sort of like the Napa of, of Mexico, where the wine region is in Baja. And if not that, at least I'll be probably going to Tijuana. And then I'm going to a dinner in San Diego at uh, George's at the Cove. Trey Fauché of that restaurant is yeah. hosting a Christopher Costo for a, a charity dinner that I sort of kind of helped a, a friend put together. And from there, I go home for a little <laughs> while. I don't know what's after that. Later this year, I have a few other trips yeah. already planned. But I yeah. am both exhausted and starving hearing that kind of itinerary. <laughs> it oh. is exhausting. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break and come back and hear about what other far-flung adventures Bonjoing's been on. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back.
Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here with Bonchwing Lee. It must be nice to have shed the ulterior epicure and have to, you know, have this facadical guise in front of you. It's nice. Uh, the one thing that's nice about it is, I, you know, when I started the blog, the reason I went anonymous was well, twofold. One, I know the internet's kind of a scary place. And I'm sort of a private person. And really, the blog wasn't about me. It was about the food. So it didn't really matter. I didn't think who was writing the blog. So it didn't really matter. The other main reason I was anonymous was because I was still in law school and I still hadn't found a job. Yeah. <laughs> and employers, as you know, might be a little, especially law firms, are very curious about people's backgrounds. So they will go Google you. Yeah. And I didn't want my name to be attached to this, you know, this blog that, you know, what, what this kid's not, you know, in law school studying, but he's like traveling around the world and eating. So I didn't want, you know, I want, didn't want potential employers. But uh, I think by going anonymous, I actually is kind of ironic. I think I attracted more attention to myself that way. And I, I have a lot of very strange followers. <laughs> <laughs> so it's nice. And, and really, when I came out, I decided to do one of my own terms because I, there's, there is a creepy blog out there who, that was dedicated to outing me. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's called, and you can look it up, it's called Who is the Ulterior Epicure? <laughs> and I, don't, I still, to this day, I don't know who started the blog, but it is pretty creepy. The guy or who, woman, I don't know who did it, does it, uh, does a, did a lot of research on me. They knew a lot of stuff about me that I don't know how they found out. They knew oh, my beginning salary. I didn't even know about myself. No, well, no. But I mean, they would look up, you know, races that I had run. Yeah. And, and would link to my race, my race, uh, like marathons or whatever. And they would link to my race time on the sheet that was posted, you know, after a race. Yeah. And they would say, you know, Bonjamin Lee ran such and such a race and Ulterior Epicure was, you know, likes to run and would try to link me up that way. And it was done by, it was just very creepy. So I decided that I would come out on my own terms instead of letting someone else do it for me in a creepy way. So, and also by coming out on own terms, uh, you were able to have, I think, a little more fun with it too, because you have some good friends like Gavin Kaysen, um, I mean, Megan Colby, that you want to dine out with and experience and not, not feel kind of uh you know with this wall up the whole time yeah it is tough it is tough uh there was one time i was out to dinner or lunch with gavin and the server comes to our table and the first thing he said you know i'm with gavin case and i remember in new york city and i would think most people know in there especially in the restaurant industry would know and definitely at this restaurant they would have known who he was i'm sure they did know who he was but the first thing out of the server's mouth was not like hello chef or you know welcome mm-hmm. to our restaurant chef and i was a nobody you know who and the first thing out of his mouth is you're that blogger from kansas city <laughs> <laughs> and that just sort of was just kind of a moment where i was like what what you know why yeah why the fuck it really i you know i really don't eat out because i want attention i eat out because i love eating out yeah. you know but i do have a lot of i have found a lot of friends in the restaurant and i think it's hard not to yeah i understand that now you know it's a very endearing industry it is um, and, and i think it's just the love of food we all have that in common and you know yeah while you're in new york where are you eating on this trip i am going to be at Atera. I did a dinner last night at uh, Aldea with Ideas and Food. Alex Talbot came and cooked a special dinner. Uh, so, Atera, uh, Jean-Georges, Del Posto, The Modern, Per Se, um, Il Buco Elementari, um, Hearth. Never been to Hearth. Oh, yeah? And I, yeah, last night I happened to sit down next to Marco Canora. I'd never met him before. Such I a l- nice guy. I love the chef's table at Hearth. It's Such just, a nice yeah. guy. And uh, I asked him, I said, if I have one dinner open left in New York, which I did, where should I go? And he said, Hearth. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be biased. And I said, all right, fair enough. So uh, I also was in Queens earlier this week. I was at uh, a, a Korean restaurant in Flushing, which did the Queens Kickshaw. Uh, was at uh, the Lobster Pound in Red Hook. And yesterday we went to the sister restaurant, uh, the Brooklyn Crab, which yeah. just recently opened. So 
a whole range of things. Yeah. And probably a few others, but I, you know. And so I look at your figure right now. Where do you put it? <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. Of, Marco Canora last night called me a blade of grass. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I guess I was just born with a very, very high metabolism, very lucky. My parents, when they were my age, were just as thin. Yeah. Uh, but I do, I do exercise a lot. When I was in law school, I ran six miles a day. Yeah. Maybe a little crazy on that. But I do exercise a lot in the summer. I love to swim. Mm-hmm. So I swim a lot. Um, and uh, I just try to, you know, and the other thing is that I don't eat like this all the time, despite what people might think. I, I, when I'm at home in Kansas City, actually, I'm almost a vegan. Yeah. You know, at home, I don't feel like cooking because I eat out so much. And when I eat out, it's a lot of protein and, protein fat. and yeah. fat. So when I'm at home, I have lettuce. I eat salads. I love popcorn. I'll just <laughs> air pop some popcorn. I love watermelon. Yeah. Like insanely in the summer. I love fruit, vegetables. I almost could be a vegetarian if I didn't like meat so much too, but <laughs> I love vegetables. Yeah. And cheese is probably the only thing I have in my house that makes me not vegan at home. Yeah. It's fascinating. I think I feel the same way about if you go out to eat at restaurants, often you order or you know the chef wants to present you the biggest, fattiest, juiciest, yeah. you know, protein. Yeah. So... At home, I, I pretty much do yeah. that same thing, you know, roughage to, and fiber to yeah. clean everything out. Yeah, absolutely. You can't, you can't eat like that all the time. It would be irresponsible, and it's just not healthy. And, you know, I really believe that moderation is the key. Yeah. You can, I mean, you can have your fun. I do. And thankfully, I do have a good metabolism. I do actually work for my calories. I do work out a lot. But at the same time, I think it's about moderation. And actually, when I'm at home, I usually fast one day out of the week. I won't eat one day out of the week. I just don't think it's necessary to be constantly eating. And the other thing is I, I, I have a tremendous, I don't know what it is. My mom calls me the camel because I can <laughs> binge eat for a long time and then I can go a long time without food. I don't know what it is, but you know, it's just, I eat when I'm hungry Yeah. and sometimes, you know, obviously when I'm on these trips, I eat when I'm not hungry because you don't know, <laughs> but I do have a very fast metabolism. Yeah. yeah. So Casey, when you're home and you're not vegan, vegetarian at the house, where do you eat out? Because like you were telling me, People should come to KC. People should come to Kansas City. Um, we, we have, obviously, barbecue is what we're known for. Um, but at the same time, I think we have a, it's a, I would call it a burgeoning uh, restaurant scene there. It's, it's kind of an exciting time for Kansas City, especially for those people who grew up and lived in Kansas City. Because when I grew up in Kansas City, there was maybe one or two there were maybe one or two restaurants that were cons- would be considered you know, fine dining or sort of pushing the envelope. The American restaurant has always been sort of the standard bearer in our city since 1974 or three when it opens 30 some years, almost 40 years old. And they've always had, they produced a lot of great chefs, James Beard awarding winning chefs, Bradley Ogden there cooked, for example, okay. early in his day. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, but we also have now, uh, and then a lot of chain restaurants when I grew up, I mean, it was just like a sea of olive gardens and red lobsters. That's, I mean, that's where I grew up. And now we actually have independently run restaurants that are actually doing very well. People now in Kansas City are aware of that and are supporting that kind of a restaurant scene. So it's a really exciting time because it's, in my opinion, it's not quite there yet. Yeah. But Kansas City is, the chefs in Kansas City are now finally realizing that instead of chasing the trends on the coast, that we actually have a culinary heritage in the middle of the country that is great. Yeah. You know, that's great. And it's really funny because a few years ago, I remember in New York, there was this rage about fried chicken, fried chicken and pie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I'm like, that's Midwestern sort of Midwestern Southern food. I mean, the Midwest really is kind of, su- I mean, there are elements of Southern food there too. Yeah. 
you know, biscuits and gravy and cornbread and fried chicken and, you know, chicken fried steak and meatloaf and things like that. But, you know, chefs now are starting to realize in Kansas City that that's something to capitalize upon. That's something that we shouldn't run away with, run away from, but rather really embrace and make it better. Yeah. You know, I think why people make fun of Midwestern cuisine is because it's just not well done. But it doesn't mean that the food isn't couldn't be good. Yeah. And so, you know, like Colby is opening a new restaurant here soon, in, um, hopefully by the end of the year, he thinks, called Rye. As in like rye whiskey, rye. And it's going to be basically that. Yeah. It's going to be sort of this Midwestern restaurant, but done really well with quality ingredients. You know, Well, I think it's a quality thing. You know, um, Heritage Foods, which is, you know, Heritage Radio Network's uh, founder. Um the meat, you know, the the quality of ingredient, the sourcing, uh, all that thing is so important. And a lot of fried chicken or a lot of barbecue were pieces of meat that you didn't know where it came from. I don't know if it was intentional or unnecessary to be told, but I feel like, you know, having good meat to do those processes makes that process and makes sure. the product better. Right. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, like, for example, we have a, a great, great lamb farm, a sheep farm. Uh, out in Kansas, north of Kansas City and Weston. And uh, it's called Green Dirt Farm. And not only do they raise these sheep and they, they obviously slaughter them for the, the meat, the lamb, but they also make sheep's milk cheeses that are really quite spectacular. In fact, when Tony Bourdain's producers called me about him coming to Kansas City and, and they said, you know, Tony really wants to roast a whole beast. Yeah. What, how, can we, how can we make that happen? Yeah, you were on no reservation. That's right. Yeah, so that's I, awesome. I said, well, I've got the, these friends. They have a great sheep farm. Let's, I'll call them up. Let's go slaughter a lamb and let's, I'll invite a couple of local chefs or a local chef who also owns a farm and we'll just roast this lamb out on the farm because they host dinners in the summer. I just went to one last week yeah. where they, you, they build this barn and you eat in the barn and they host these guest chefs from the local area who come and cook and they give each chef a whole entire lamb to feed 30 people and people buy tickets to go it's sort of like a supper club and but so when tony came i said you know let's go out to this green dirt farm and have this have this sheep roast or lamb roast and so we did we went out there and uh, he got to taste some of the cheeses and i think he was very impressed by the cheese. i mean and rightfully so because the cheeses are wonderful yeah but people don't know that you know the midwest is sort of kind of developing i think that's the other thing about kansas city is that we've started to really embrace the local farmers that are doing it right and doing it well yeah and there are some really great ones out there in kansas city yeah i mean in the blue stem and the blue stem yeah. cookbook we actually profile six Local food producers. We do a dairy company. We have a farm, an organic farmer too, actually Thane Palmberg and the Crumbs, and then Green Dirt Farm with their lamb and cheeses, and uh, Campo Lindo with their chickens. Yeah, so it's great. Yeah, it's not subsidized. We do sort of have this sort of uh, uh, produce utopia. Really, the only problem with the Midwest is that we have all the seasons. Spring and fall are regrettably short. Summer mm-hmm. is long and hot and steamy, and then winter is also pretty long. And so the winter is pretty harsh. So it, in the winter time, I think it's pretty hard to be seasonal. Yeah. Unless you want to be eating root vegetables. That's why you get out of town. That's right. I do. <laughs> I thankfully, I, yeah, I get to kind of. Move so on. quickly, where would you tell people to go for just? a spectacular meal anywhere in the world. What what are your top few just off-the-cuff places to go? Yeah, right now, I, I can probably name three restaurants that really excite me, that I really want to return to. Um, one is Kiki da Costa on the coast of Spain. Yeah. It's on the He's opening up in New Eastern. York, right? Oh, I didn't yeah. hear that. Is yeah. he? That might be, that'd be interesting. Yeah. But his restaurant is called Kiki da Costa, yeah. and it's in uh, Denia, Spain. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, Donnie's opening up here. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. I didn't hear. Yeah, yeah I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. Kiki da Costa. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I had three spectacular meals there, back to back to back last yeah. year there. Love to go back. His food is just like no other. Another restaurant that I think is really with the times, it's, I mean, it's just 
I think it really is representative of the times, is uh, Pujol in Mexico City, Enrique Olvera's restaurant. He is really, I think, transforming that country's culinary scene and really revising this very ancient and very rich culinary culture with a modern viewpoint. And I think it's really great. And the other one is Josh Skeen's at Cezanne in San Francisco, who is cooking food that I, it's, it's, it, all three of those chefs have very individualistic voices, very individualistic voices. Yeah. And that's, I think it's really exciting. Those three restaurants, I would say those three are the top right now are the most exciting restaurants that excite me the most. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty hefty list. How many restaurants have you eaten at? Oh, I don't even know. <laughs> because I see that list on Ulterior. Yeah, and that's and, an exhaustive. I need to go and update that. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. Hundreds. Hundreds, definitely. Yeah. But I like hearing those three as ones that you'd return to. Oh, absolutely. So you're not a one-off kind of guy. No, never, actually. Even if my first meal is disappointing, I'll go back. I've had many disappointing meals at a rest- at a very at any kind of restaurant, and I never write it off after the first visit. Not even after two. I'll go. I'll go as many times as I think it takes for me to determine that that restaurant maybe is just not for me. Yeah. And I'm always open. You know, like, for example, a good example is WD-50. The first time I went there, it still is probably among the worst meals I've ever had. Yeah. And a few years later, everyone just kept telling me, you have to go. You have to go back. You know, you probably just had a bad visit. And I went back, and it's pro- the second meal I had there was probably one of the best meals I've ever had in my life. Yeah. And it just goes, I mean, I'm very open to that. I'm very adventurous. I, I never I never write anything off. Nice Life's one. too short to do that. Yeah. And are you hungry right now? Absolutely. Okay. So we're going to have some lunch. Absolutely. Looks good. I'm staring at Roberta's right now. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> Excellent. Bondring, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Um, everyone should check out the ulterior epicure uh, and read, not only just thank look you. at photos. <laughs> You've been listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. Here's Michael Harlan Terkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at three. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our programs archived on our website or by searching iTunes for Heritage Radio Network. You can find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website. Thanks for listening.